Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Welcome to the after party. It's time to change. You're just getting started. You can teach an old dog new ways and not just on Saturday. What's up, you guys? It's Anna David with After Party Pod, podcast about addiction, recovery, life, relationships. Um, News for you, this is a complete departure, this episode, from the way things are normally done. And that, there's, there are two reasons. Uh, First of all, welcome to the show if you're new. Hey, I, I know because I've gotten emails that a lot of you have come to this because you heard me on Mental Illness Happy Hour. And I'm so glad you're here. I've gotten emails too. And uh, great, because that ups, that show was such an inspiration for this show. I f- honestly couldn't listen to my episode for weird reasons, but, but uh, having to do with mostly, it's like horrible to listen to yourself talking about disturbing things, but I don't know. I listened to these, so... I should be used to it. But anyway, welcome, welcome. And if you are just randomly here, you're welcome too. Thanks. Um, so, okay. So if you listen already, you know that every week, every other week, I interview a sober person about their recovery. Or, you know, and I've had departures. I've had non-sober people talking about other issues. And frankly, I get bored and I was getting sick of the format. Guests are great, but I was getting tired of it. And I was also feeling constantly all this pressure to find new guests because we've, I've talked about this, like the, the Venn diagram, oh, you know, with uh, sober people and who want to talk about recovery and people who I think are interesting and you might know very, very little crossover. And so Instead, what I decided to do is bring Danielle into it. And Danielle has been on the podcast, but she also uh, works with me here at the After Party headquarters, which is you know primarily the site, which we talk about extensively in this episode. So if you have not checked out the site, you're going to be told to do it many times in what you're about to listen to. But And we interviewed, we really just had like a three-way conversation, yep. I said it, uh, with Tracy Chabala, who is uh, one of the main writers for the site. And it was so much more fun. It just became, you know, yeah, we got Tracy's story and it's crazy interesting. But we just started chatting. Uh, you know, we let that be a jumping off point. And honestly, I had a lot more fun than usual. I'm curious if you guys will like this new format. And, um, that's really all, you know, there's been, ugh, it's been a really weird period for me. I can't remember if I mentioned this in the other intro. 
probably it's been a while it's been just the rockiest period in my head uh in sobriety i would say uh you know whatever it's it's peaks and valleys and i'm in a I'm in a valley. I do think it's over. I do think it, it, it's, I'm coming out of it. There's absolutely nothing wrong. Um, sort of having some health stuff that's changing my perception of things, but everything is truly fine. And that it's just weird. It's just weird when you are sober and you're used to having all these tools that work well when your brain is acting out like this. And I'm in this I've been in this period where none of those tools, uh, whether it's meditation or meetings or writing or praying, yeah, I said it, uh, whatever helps. And you just sort of have to go on faith that, you know, this too shall pass. It's always passed before. And the sort of darkest periods in my experience are, you know, it's always darkest before the dawn kind of thing. And then you get out of it and you're so grateful that that, weird period past uh yeah you know it's not that great being a highly emotional person do you know what i mean i was thinking that maybe everybody goes through this kind of thing but i just feel my emotions so extremely this is like so narcissistic all of this but what intro isn't frankly so that is about it i am Recording this, I'm going to go on this retreat tomorrow uh, with uh, She Recovers, which is this fantastic, call it a sister site to After Party. And, uh, you know, I need it. It's what I can say. So thanks for listening. Here you go with Tracy Jabala and Danielle Stewart. I first started taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash. Oh, my God. I think my copy has like blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it. Party animal. I hate to say that because that makes me sound Paris Hilton. I was on the, as right. I call it, the Autobahn to nowhere. I'm very lucky because would you have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad? So yeah, I'm sitting here with Tracy Chabala. Hello. And anybody familiar with After Party knows exactly who she is because as as one of our other contributors said to me, does Tracy write the whole site? <laughs> I do write a lot, but I really enjoy it. <laughs> well, and, and so you came to me. Uh, oh, by the way, guys, we're doing this totally differently. I'm sure I'll say it in the intro, the yet-to-be-recorded intro. But truth is, I'm totally fried on this podcast <laughs> and how I've been doing it. So bringing Tracy in is like we're doing it more as an after party. Yes, she's sober and brilliant and funny, just like previous guests. But we're just going to be chatting more casually which will be awesome. And I, oh, I forgot to tell you, I do have questions that people have sent me oh, that we could answer awesome. as the party goes on. Awesome. <laughs> so, okay, but so you you popped up. Mm-hmm. Well, we sort of knew each other-ish from a meeting. Right, right. I'd seen you for a long time. Oh, interesting. I had, I always Stalker. noticed your ch- ch- charisma because, you know, you always had the commitment and you were Oh, funny. oh, that meeting. Uh, yeah, thank you. I like that charisma. meeting a lot. Oh, it's great. It's a great meeting. So I think it's one of my favorites in L.A., for sure. Yeah, for sure. I always like those self-aggrandizing commitments. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Where you can like get attention. Like those silent, the people who do the coffee, I'm like, wow, you're really actually doing this for the right reasons. 
You know what I <laughs> the mean? The coffee is just too much. I, I, I did it once and I had to bail. It's like a oh, huge hour long commitment. <laughs> I took it and I bailed. Yeah. Which is awful. I know. But Oh, well. We're, yeah. We're, <laughs> well, you know what? The meeting went on. <laughs> the meeting does go on. But, okay. So, so we had a mutual friend. Yes. From, and it's somebody who semi-wrote for the site. Yes. Who's brilliant, too. Yeah. And so you guys were talking about writing or something, and she said... Yes, because I just started freelancing full-time, and she was like, why don't you write for Anna? And I, you know, I was like, so I checked out the site, and she's like, she, she's looking for writers, and I was like, this is, this is awesome. I could, you know just write about my stuff and I did food writing and you know schlepping all over the city and then spending money on food it's just it's very taxing and gets annoying well and plus <laughs> you worked as a chef yes that's correct yes I did and that uh that that really fried me that was three years I spent in kitchens and under brutal militant chefs is and, that more brutal than the writing career you know it's very interesting because I've thought about this and and the writing it's more of just like an internal psychological you know challenge Constantly, and then the self-discipline, and in that way, it's com- a complete opposite because you, you've always got the external, you know, somebody cracking the whip versus writing. You know, I've got to. Do I it. crack the whip on you, you all do, the time, which is actually, and that's good. Like, okay. it's really helpful to have a little bit of structure. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, and press pressure. You're like structure. I say pressure. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm so impressed with you on so many levels. A because the people that come to me as recommended by other people, everybody thinks they can write and 98.9% of them cannot. Wow. And so when you, you know, you came, I was like, sure. Yeah, let's try this. <laughs> and oh my God, we're going to get back to all of this, but look who's here. Oh, oh, it's Danielle. Oh, carrying yes. a nice okay. big cup of fresh coffee. The truth is we semi-planned this because as mentioned, we're doing a kind of new way of doing the after party pod. Yeah, we're, this, we're yeah. trying to make a party environment, right? Party. Which is, we have a very fun office here, and um, and it is kind of a party, and we do have a good time working in what we do, even though it can be, you know. Do we? <laughs> I mean, I think we do at times. We laugh. We have a good time. We have laughed. <laughs> we, we have laughed. It, sometimes it is at the expense of other people. It has happened. But... <laughs> But we want people to know that, that, that we're having fun. So we're doing, yeah, we're doing a, we're trying something. Well, and also it's not, I, I am just sitting and interviewing somebody, even someone fascinating. I don't know. It, it's, it's exhausting. Oh, and also it's really hard to find a lot of sober people who are wellish known, dynamic, and want to talk about being sober. Yeah. An inherent built-in problem of the podcast conception. <laughs> Especially the wanting to talk about you know, it's funny. I'm always so like perturbed by how many people want to keep their anonymity. Oh, I know, right? Silly. I think that is. I think that is silly because it helps so many people just to put yourself out there, and then people know, like, too. If you're in the program, we're not a bunch of crazy, you know, whatever Bible people. Not that there's anything wrong with that, or it's not, you know, too. What do you think about? anonymity about the program that's a very good question because it is a tradition and i think that um there's some people like when they knew that i was writing they were like oh you shouldn't you shouldn't do that you shouldn't break your anonymity um i kind of I, the, the the fundamental reason for that is they don't want like a poster person for aa like a personality attached to the program and i don't know that having so many different voices 
does that. You know what I mean? Well, and it would be one thing if any of us were like, well, I am an expert on it. All we talk about is how screwed up our recovery <laughs> is, like how precariously we're handling. I mean, that's how I see it. Yeah, I mean, I- I've thought about it a lot and sort of tried to justify it mm-hmm. to different people. And the truth is, I am, it's the 11th tradition. I'm breaking it. And it's fine. Mm-hmm. I also drink kombucha, you guys, which has 0.5% alcohol. Right. And I drank it for the first six years of my sobriety until there was that big scandal at Trader Joe's or at Whole Foods. Do you remember this? Yeah. No, but I only learned about kombucha like last year. Okay. So I've been drinking. I used to, it used to be my hangover cure. Um, well, I most what is most notable about this is that you were so ahead of the curve on kombucha. See, I can't even say it. <laughs> well, my parents uh, don't forget. My parents are hippies, and there is a little bit of a, um, a you know um, advantage to that. Mm-hmm. I you know I, I know a lot about like vitamins and weird Carib. like totally carob. Grew up on carob, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know I, I know a lot about different kinds of homeopathic stuff. So anyway, I used to drink kombucha and in like 2008, when I was like five or six years sober, I, it got pulled off the shelves because um, they found out that it had alcohol in it, which is the same as a non-alcoholic beer, which is also a controversial thing uh-huh. in AA. Have you ever had one, Tracy? Uh, no, I actually haven't had one. But I, I don't have any set views about that. And and, th- and that's what I think also on this tradition is that because there are so many critics out there saying AA is dogmatic and it's this, that, and the other, I think it is really good to, to, to wear the program as a loose garment. Mm-hmm. And I've known people who have drunk, you know, had it drunk. I You know, I could care less, you know, as long as it doesn't destroy their life. I do right. want to say that this is, this may be uh, very controversial, but if there are people that can come into AA and break the the program in terms of like, you know, there are no leader trusted servants. I mean, there are meetings I go to where the secretary is like, you can't read, stop texting, stop. You know, like we all break the traditions in some way or another and sort of use them as to our advantage, which is not um, good, but it's also sometimes necessary. I don't personally care. I, I think that the work that we're doing here is important. And if, if people find that um, breaking my anonymity is just like a disgusting thing, then they don't need to read my stuff. Right. That's personally how I feel about it. And I also am not going to stop drinking fermented tea. Even even though though it's, I will say I went to Air One this weekend and they now have this new label on the brand that I used to buy that says contains alcohol must be 21 or over to buy. And I was like, I can't buy this anymore. So I switched to another brand that doesn't have that. (laughs) That doesn't have the warning. But, but honestly, it's like, I don't, obviously there's no new label law because they would all have it. So now I assume, I assume that one has more or something. You know, I don't know, but I just couldn't, I can't buy the, I can't do that. I will tell you, I tried com- kombucha. I don't know can't even say it. it. Kombucha. Kombucha <laughs> once, and I was so repulsed, and part of that was that it tasted like alcohol to me. <sighs> I did get a buzz off of it. I got a buzz off of it when I was working at Whole Foods, and I, this is what led me into kitchens, and I, I drank it really fast. I hadn't eaten. I was like, whoa, and I was so, I was just so naive. I didn't even realize that, you know, but I'm also very sensitive. I never had a high tolerance, so for me, it wasn't right. I mean, I felt really good. I was like, you did. I had no idea. So then I'm like, okay, I can't. How long it. were you sober at that point? I was sober two years. Right. Two years. But, and then the other thing is too, because I've worked in professional kitchens, especially in pastry, I've been in so many situations where I've had to taste things. I've accidentally tasted like prunes that were smothered in Armanac. And one time I even accidentally took a shot of eggnog that was spiked. And it's like, 
you know, a lot of people in AA might say, oh, that's it, you're going to relapse. And it's like, no, I didn't. And sometimes I would have to taste like Sabayon. It has a little bit of wine in it. I just yeah. just taste a little, you know? Everyone has their own thing. You know, I'm going to admit right now, I get a buzz off of kombucha. I just didn't realize that that's what it was because I didn't know it had alcohol in it for the first, like, few years I was drinking it. Um, I also get a buzz off of, off of a bag of licorice. Um, <laughs> a much bigger buzz, actually. So, I mean, I've had way more destructive aftermath um, after, like, inhaling a chocolate bar and texting an ex-boyfriend than I've ever had off kombucha. Right. So, right. I, I'm. that's what I'll say about that. That. Popcorn with lots of butter and milk duds, that's quite a hot. It's very mind-altering. Yeah, it will make you feel like you don't have any problems. Yeah. Totally. For three minutes. For, yeah, well, while you're eating it, and as soon as you're done, you have all the problems Every, in the world. You have more problems. You have the same problems you had, plus your fat. <laughs> and have high cholesterol. Um, you know, oh, I used to take these these diet herbs, which I tried to turn you on to, Danielle. Yeah, but they had changed the formula, unfortunately, by that point. I dropped like 10 pounds in like a minute on oh, these wow. herbs. And I remember I was living in New York and I remember sitting there with the guy I was dating and a friend. And I was like, oh, I'm high. <laughs> I am high right now. And I got scared, not because I was like, I'm relapsing, but because it felt so uncomfortable. Right. And I paid $700 yeah. to like a quack um, acupuncturist to get them and she gave them to me and they had like changed the formula so they were less speedy because before they had I mean let's not get excited it was yerba mate like it was like oh no it was matcha it was matcha green tea that um that that made it that way and they had taken that out so it was less speedy and I was like is there any way I could get the old formula <laughs> oh god no, oh god no it's probably like the kombucha they realized that it had like speed in it we don't know what was in it did, didn't they? Did they? Did they reduce the amount of alcohol that was in the kombucha? kombucha? No, not I, I don't. I, I don't have any answers. Okay. I don't want to know the truth. Well, I know tons of people in recovery who drink kombucha, right. and I just, I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, you know, definitely. So, okay, wait. So, Tracy, let's let's interview her a little bit together before we get into the other stuff. So, um, let's just first drink age. Okay. My first drink, I was a really late bloomer because I was I was kind of sheltered in this conservative Christian environment, and I went to Baptist high school. My first drink was my my freshman year of college. I was eighteen. Oh That's so embarrassing. It is embarrassing. <laughs> oh, you don't want to know the age I lost my virginity. That's even so, more embarrassing. Uh, mine was twenty one. Oh, okay, that was it my was? age. Yeah, I, I, I've tried to tell you this. <laughs> I won't accept it. I won't accept yeah. that information. Yeah, prude. Oh. Oh, you're prude. Uh, uh, yeah, I go, I veer in and out of prudery. <laughs> I, I, I got to say I do too as I've gotten a little older. I, I go in and out, but it's on I've never had a, I've never had a moment of prudery. I, I, <laughs> I did, made that word up. I did not masturbate for four months once and then, um, you know, I made up for it, so. Oh, that's good. Was that I've got like nothing against masturbation. Oh, I was in SLAA oh. and uh, that was part of my bottom lines. Um, I also didn't have sex for like, I don't know, eight months or something. It, it was a nightmare. I will never... I'm still like recovering. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I don't blame you. That would be hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, anyway. Yeah. The first drink. Uh-huh. And and the second I took, I mean, I, I knew I was an alcoholic. My, my roommate, my freshman year of college offered me this Jack Daniels cooler. And I raised, raised the bottle to her and I said, if I become an alcoholic, it's your fault. That's how much I knew I was going to have a problem. Wow. Because I had... They have Jack Daniels coolers? Yeah, I never... Oh, like, so are you stupid. about like Tennessee tea and stuff like that? I don't know what it was. It was like in this little bottle. I think it was like cherry flavored, whiskey. Woo. 
Okay. It's kind of useless, really. Once I got to become a real alcoholic, it's just plain useless. But the, but the thing about it was that very, from that very first time, I got extremely drunk. I could not stop. I mean, I was everybody had to take care of me. It's like immediately I took that sip and I had to have more. So it was unmanageable from the very beginning. But, you know, you keep on going. Well, obviously. <laughs> you know, um, one thing that I neglected to mention to our faithful listeners is that is that what like you may not you guys may not even know about the site i do mm-hmm. hype it but i do think there are a lot of people who listen to this podcast who really are like what site is she talking about mm-hmm. and it's called after party magazine mm-hmm. and um and i you know what else did i want to say about that oh 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 so we're going to talk a little bit about some of the stories that have been that you guys have written and that you're in the process of writing. Okay, perfect. Yeah. yeah, because they really do cover your whole story. I know they do. They do absolutely. Yeah. How many more uh, personal stories do you think you can unearth from your life to make into essays? Oh, tons, tons. I mean, you know, it's just I was even thinking about this morning. I don't remember which which one. I mean, they just it seems like everything that I've done in my life, you know, somehow can tie into the addiction mindset or certainly my bipolar mental illness mindset. And it's just I've just been sneaky, you know, from the very beginning. I mean, I, I am kind of like more, I guess, when I was growing up more in, in an innocent way, but just the way that I would lie to my parents and be manipulative and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I was just um, I, funny. I'm just writing a piece about how the one of the glaring character defects of all alcoholics is manipulation, mm-hmm. and some of us have it more than others. Um, and and I I, see, I think a lot of pe- like some people drop it pretty early on once that once it stop they're stopped trying to get drugs and alcohol. But some people, you know, it's all the way throughout. Um, but interestingly. Um, wait, sorry, I need to go back. I didn't ex- explain. If you guys don't know who that other voice is, Danielle Stewart works for the site, mm-hmm. used to write constantly, but now she's saddled with so many horrible duties that, that, well, that she writes less. Yeah, but it's a, it's good. It's a good, it's a good break. I'm t- you know, libido is, is the creative energy and I'm using it in other areas right now. Yeah. 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 Okay. I mean, that's the truth. So it's, I would be, I don't have enough in me to write a freaking story right now. It's good that I'm Although just, one can feed off the other. It sure could. It sure could. Kind of like these stories, one kind of leads to another. That's true. That's absolutely but interestingly, on this point, the story that you just wrote about can you overdo AA oh, yeah. is about these qualities are true for everybody. Right. And everybody goes, oh, yeah, I'm just, I'm manipulative. I, I, I can't help it. I'm an alcoholic. Ugh, I hate that. Well, I mean, how many manipulative non-alcoholics do you know? Tons, tons. Yeah. And lots of neurotics and lots of people with, you know, just all sorts of hangups. And I know a lot of them. And that's why... I'm just like, this is ridiculous, you know? And then, and then that too, like, like when some people are like, oh, the alcoholic with all the character defects, I think that, you know, when people do accuse AA of kind of being punitive or, or, or judgmental toward people, um, you know, I, th- I think it's just, just a human condition. You know, I don't think that that's, I don't think that was the intention. I, I will say that I'm of the school of like, there are people who are in AA um, that have the manipulation problem, but I, I find that people that, the people that I find to be really manipulative, I think should be in a program. Maybe not AA, but mm-hmm. like they have that ism. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like I do know the ism does exist beyond I have a drug problem with drugs and alcohol or I have a pr- glaring problem with sex or shopping. Like 
a lot of those things like, well, food and shopping and, and, you know, stuff, those things go untreated a lot because they're so kind of acceptable and they, and they kind of, you can, your life can be somewhat manageable. Like debt isn't, isn't always unmanageable. Like thousands of dollars worth of debt, I should know. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it isn't always unmanageable. But I do know a lot of people who have those same character defects. It just hasn't gotten to a point for them where they need to change anything. Right. You know, I mean, I've worked for people like that before, um, where it's like everything about them is like working for an alcoholic, except they don't really have a drinking problem that I'm aware of. Yeah. Yeah, I work. I worked for a woman in entertainment. She was an adult child of an alcoholic, and yes, it's absolutely true. She had all those those, you know, trait. I know I'm, now. I feel like I'm contradicting myself, but just in terms of no, both you, are true. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. I mean, I, I know healthy people in the world, and none of them are manipulative. Right. You know what I mean? That's just how that's been my do I know thing. People in the world. I mean, like, no one's perfect, but you know, you know yeah, people who you're like they're totally normal. normal. It doesn't mean that their defects are in, in in more light and airy areas. Like you know, they're kind of flaky, maybe, or you know, they're nerdy or socially <laughs> inept. Right. You know what I mean? But they're not nerdy as a defect. It's a huge defect. <laughs> not no. in today's world. It's how you thrive. That's true. If we were nerdier, do you know how? wealthy and successful we'd all be if i liked bacon um more and was into like you know shopping at goodwill um i would be so much more successful as a comedian you know like (laughs) if i liked wilco i i mean but but do you like bacon flavored ice cream is that how deep you'll go i like bacon flavored chocolate okay well maybe you should move to the you're a little bit west for that you should move a little bit more east and pursue a career in comedy yeah yeah i mean and and you'll have to wear your buddy holly glasses like every day of the week but i almost have buddy holly glasses i like those glasses you would probably be a very successful stand-up comedian um i will tell you i did a story for women's health where they it's called would you dare it's non-existent column now and you had to go and do the thing that terrified you the most and i thought I would be the best stand-up comic so I learned nothing about it and I got up and did it and it was awful (laughs) well it's Oh, sorry, sorry, oh, sorry. Sorry. Well, well it's awful. Um, yeah. Every, every time. I mean, I, I did it for 11 years and it's still awful. But I was awful. Um, that was crazy. I just did a weird mic gesture that <laughs> had nothing to do with anything. Oh, okay. Um, no, I mean, it's like, it's, it's awful your first time. It's awful your first few years. It's a lot like sobriety. You know? My first year of sobriety was the best year of my life. Wow. You had a year-long pink cloud? A year-long. And I don't know... I don't know how other people do it. It was just, I was so happy to be among the living. I was so, like I had been in my apartment alone for years. Um, I just loved Hiding that pretty face. (laughs) That's crazy. It is. I like you, Anna. I am the least isolated person now. I need, I need people like all the time. Did you have a boyfriend in your first year? Because that was the worst part of the first year. Okay, perfect. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it was it was so good. I mean, you get so much more male attention when you're new because yeah, because men like crazy bitches. Oh yeah. Is that oh what it yeah. Is? I my pick of the litter, you know. Um, but and that's what it is—a litter. It really is. It really is. <laughs> they're pretty. But they're pretty immature. Those guys in AA. Do you guys agree? Woo! I think I don't know. I dated one recently, and he was just like a Peter Pan. I mean, this is sort of segueing into a yeah. little bit what we were going to talk oh, about. Right. 
Yeah. I don't do you want to go? I do, and it? I want to go into the 13th step too. Okay. Which oh. is which is relevant also. I'll also. Okay, so I've dated several alcoholics. Mm-hmm. Um one was a 13th step, which if you don't know what that is, it's when somebody with time uh, starts dating somebody who doesn't have any time in sobriety. So I started dating someone who had 30 days, which you did. You had you had that experience too, Anna, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, when I was like, yeah, five years sober, I dated somebody with um, no time who emailed me on MySpace and said, I'm hot, you're hot, I'm sober, you're sober. Uh, and I, n- not only did I respond to that and start dating him, if you had, if you knew what this guy looked like, you would too. Like it was, <laughs> can you imagine how hot you have to be for someone to respond to that email? Yeah. Yeah. No, but I, I, I believe it. I would do it. I would do it too. If, if they were hot enough and you know. It I mean, was overwhelming. It makes complete sense. Um, and that's where I was in my spread. Is he still sober? I really don't think so. Um, no names of a very successful actor. Uh-huh. Um, so that, that had some allure as well. But no, I don't think he was sober when we were dating. Okay. He yeah. was, but he liked the, the sound of it. He sure went to a lot of meetings. He sure professed to be sober. But I have reasons to believe that was not accurate. Well, I dated a guy. Um, I, I, we had sex. And then I drove him to get his 30-day chip. And I had six years, almost six years of sobriety. And um, no, I had six years. And, uh, and and we dated for two years, you know, and then he relapsed. But but yes, there there's a lot of emotional immaturity with a newcomer. But then I dated, um, I recently dated a guy that had four years. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got engaged. And um, it... After it, six weeks. After six and a half days of knowing each other. No, it was uh, three months. It was uh-huh. three months. And um, typical alcoholic relationship in that way. Um, and yeah, this it was the same. Oddly, it was the same problems on a much more manageable level. I mean, you know, the the newcomer was you know tantrums and like stomping. You know what I mean? Like there was it was a lot more like if I had been in a healthier place, I would have been like whoa, you know, whoa. This was a lot more, you know, okay, not a lot more, but a little bit more like better but still not very you know that's the thing and you can't say to somebody look this isn't going to work out because I have 11 years and you have four because it's so condescending but the truth is is that there's validity to that you're in a different place it's not that they're a lesser person it's just I've been through this kicking and screaming stomping phase right you know and I'm past it and I you know I can't so, um, and, 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 and Anna and I just, um, recently went to see a documentary movie called the 13th step, which I thought was going to be about, you know, why you shouldn't 13th step in AA, why it's dangerous and why, or not just dangerous, but like why it's, um, bad for the, for the old timer person. But wait, Tracy, yes. 13th step experience. Oh yeah. I totally have 13 step experience. I was in this another story, another you. story. I was, uh, living in this shitty, uh, halfway house up in North Hills. I mean, it, it wasn't a sober living. Everybody was doing drugs. It was just, but um, I had, uh, I don't know, I had like 10 days sober. And this guy from... You have written about this. Yes. You were alluded to it. Yes. No, no, I wrote a whole story. I thought, okay. I, th- yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. I, I think I've gotten 13 step more than once. But um, anyway, th- this guy called me. Uh, he was from one of these gr- grungy AA halls. I have nothing against grungy AA halls. I like to hang out with, in them, actually. Well, yeah. What's AA a- what? Halls. 
okay, okay, gotcha. <laughs> anyway, so like he, Alana, like, like Radford or something. Yeah, it was it was worse than Radford. It was um, uh, well, it was yes, it was one of those Unit A. But but oh, he good. he called me at this halfway house and he was like, oh, I really want to know how you're doing. Like, I hope you're okay. I'm there for you. And then all of a sudden he was like, you got great legs. I would really like to. Oh, thank you. So and, he could see. Yeah. That's nice. I know. At least he could see. It's true. But, but you know, we ended up sleeping together and all this stuff. And, you know, I mean. How, I, much, how much time did he have? Two and a half years. Okay. So he was young. But he was like 50 years old. Yeah. And it was just, it's just one of those things where I get attached. I didn't realize. I mean, he was so scuzzy. I did not think I would get attached to this guy. I was kind of like disgusted with myself that I'd even think of sleeping with him. But I was so out of my mind. Yeah, you're so... De- you know, you're so desperate and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally desperate and vulnerable. The tension felt nice. And the next thing you know, I mean, I get caught up with him and he's like, well, I don't know what I want with you, you know, but I just, you know, but he just wanted to sleep with me. And I just was not in a, in a position where I could, could handle that at all and ended up breaking my heart and, you know, all this crap. And I, I, I mean, I had just gotten out of the psych unit too and I had like stitches in my wrists. And this guy was like, well, let they me. Were hot. He thought they were very attractive. He wanted to jerk off onto them. (laughs) He did a lot of crazy things, and that's fine. Wait, so I don't really know about what led you to the psych ward. Is this going to be too deep and not... No. So what happened? Well, I've been on so many 5150s to me. I don't, you know... Explain what that is. Oh, a 5150 means that it's a police code for your danger to yourself and others. How many? Um, I've probably been on seven. Yeah, I know. I laugh at them because I'm so used to it. Now, I haven't been on any since I got and stayed sober. So for me, it's, you know, I just look at it. It it always had to do with alcohol. I am bipolar. And um, it was always like a a suicide attempt when I was drunk. One time I wasn't drunk. But I mean, one time I was was unconscious in in the ICU at Cedar sinai for five days. And I came to... Oh, my God. Pills. Yes. What did you take? I took a combination of Adderall, Ativan, Clonopin, and then 300 Tylenol and 300 uh, um, aspirin. I thought that would do it. You know what I mean? Oh, that was an attempt. For me, I was like, I thought it was an accidental overdose. And I was like, why would you take Tylenol and Clonopin after you've already taken, you know, Adderall and Ativan? It seemed like Adderall would, wouldn't that counteract some of it? Um, I'm no physician. The, out of all of those Adderalls, the only one that's going to make it a party. Otherwise, she would have. Yeah, counteracted. You're right. You're right. That's going to take you right out of the coma. Um, but I just feel it. like Tylenol with Ativan is like, you know, that's like <laughs> nothing. I mean, that's like. It's useless. It's useless. Yeah. It's just like a bite of frosting on a cake. Right. It seems like, yeah, you're trying to frost a cake with like a scoop of, I, I don't even, we're, not, we're not good at this. Yeah, no. <laughs> if we thought about it, yeah. we'd be great at it yeah. if it was in a story. Um, now, and so, and so those attempts were, you, do you remember them? Were you so out of it that? I do remember them. And I, you know, the, the bipolar disorder, like I'm on meds now mm-hmm. and they help so much. And it was, it's just the combination of not being on meds and drinking like crazy and taking Adderall, I mean, it made me insane. And isn't this, that's so common, right? Like people, you know, like bipolar is something that typically doesn't get diagnosed in people until like their late 20s, right? And so, so many of us, um, not, I'm not, not my experience, but so many alcoholics end up self-medicating with drugs and alcohol and then exactly your story, you know, which happens. So it's like, 
I don't I don't know why I just pointed that out, but there's a there's a story that I just saw today on Huffington Post about oh. how uh, chemically similar bipolar and depression are. So oh, I thought, interesting. Oh, but what it actually said is that uh, is that oh shit, it's basically about how how foggy you are, which is weird. Interesting. Like that that depressed people are let are like their brain activity is less foggy. And bipolar, it is more foggy. That's the least scientific explanation ever. Well, it's it's funny because my attention span is just absolutely out the window when I'm manic. I mean, I can't, you know, it's like one thing to the other. And yeah, I've got so many ideas and so many projects. And so that makes sense. God, I love, I, I have, I have a very light bipolar diagnosis. Um, it's called cyclothematic. Um, and uh, I refuse to accept the diagnosis um, because once every several years, I get like a week where I'm manic. And um, it's just so welcomed. You know what I mean? It, it's like this, like, it's like I have a birthday party every few years for a week, you know? And it, I don't, it's not enough destruction for me to go on like, a, you know, a leveling off medication for that. Right. But um, I so love it. You know, it feels really good, especially hypomania. I had hypomania. mania one night, <laughs> and I know it was mania because it's the only time I've ever experienced anything like that, and it was terrifying. I went, I went to sleep, which leads me to believe I didn't have it. Well, I you, went might, to you sleep. may have because you can, you can sleep, it just not much. I slept. Right. And there's different, and there's different variations. There's mixed states where you're kind of depressed. I mean, it, it does vary individual to individual. Did you? Is it? Is it possible you just had a really good time? It felt one night. It you was, had fun I, one night. I had come from therapy, which is why I remember this so well. And like we had just talked about how great things were going, or something like that. And it just felt different than any sort of excitement or happiness I'd ever. Like I was scared I was going to do something crazy. It oh, just felt unmanageable. I see, I see what you're saying. That impulse. Yeah, I totally get that. It's like three hours though in my entire life. And it, it, you didn't act out? You didn't spend tons of money? Did you, did yeah, you have did hot not, sex that night? I did not try to buy an island. I did not have hot sex. I went to bed at eight o'clock. <laughs> you know what I do when I'm in those, um, my very welcomed, I'll say it again, uh, manic episodes is I do this. It's usually brought on by a, by a guy. It's usually brought on by sex or some kind of career, you know, thing. But what I do is I buy really expensive underwear I can't afford. <laughs> um, I know it's so weird, but I'm like, we're going to have sex. And by the way, guys do not care. They don't care at all. No. So it's the most wasted money in the world. It, and, and Except it, you feel sexier. Or you do sure, not even that's think good. But they don't, it doesn't, I feel sexier, sure, but like it doesn't even see the light of day. It's like they take off my bra and my shirt at the same time. That move where it's like the pants and the underwear at the same time. You're like, come on, man. This was like 130 bucks. I know, I know. I totally, I, I like the expensive stuff though because it's so much more comfortable. I'm like a snob with that kind of stuff. It's like, you know sheets. what? I bought a whole bunch of underwear at H&M and it's the most comfortable really? stuff ever. But otherwise, I'm a know. Cosabella. Yeah. <laughs> ah. um, I will tell you off the topic of recovery that Susanna, uh, Brisk, mm -hmm. fellow contributor, mm -hmm. fellow karaoke singer <laughs> with us, gave me a gift certificate for the pleasure chest, obviously. And I just discovered it. I'd forgotten. Really? Yeah, I'd totally forgotten. And I went there and I, like, so let's just say I'm all set with like the-, the Butt whole, plugs and stuff. <laughs> with ass beads and- right. um, You have everything you need. <laughs> but like, let's clarify that the- like, that, Which is nothing. 
Yeah. No, no, no. Oh. Which is that the ass stuff is never not, not, your, not that's a factor. Not your thing. Yeah. But no, I'm all set in the other area. And so I, I thought, like, what am I going to get? And I ended up getting this super crazy sexy underwear. Really? Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. And I, like, was like, I felt great in it. It had nothing to do with a guy. Has That's any, awesome. I'm sorry. Has anyone seen no, it? No, it was like three days ago. Okay. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Oh, well, we've got to we've got to yeah. find somebody. It would have been used twice already. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. But no, it does make you feel great, and the stuff there is is awesome, and it's not cheap. So hey, if you've got a gift yeah. certificate, go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So okay. So back to fifty. <laughs> back to the fifty-one fifty. Did I get laid in the psych ward? No. Although that is a fantasy of mine. <laughs> No, I mean, not really, but, you know. Well, anyway, yeah. there's restraints involved. You know, at one time right. I was put in restraints, and that was it. Yeah, I just wrote a, a piece about the county USC psych ward that I was in when I was a freshman in college, and that was really traumatic. It was horrible, and, you know, I think um, degrading. Some of these places can be degrading. And it's it's interesting um, just reading up about rehabs because you realize that if you have the monetary means – you know, you're really treated well. And like, I, I really do feel it's kind of sad that like the public places, um, you know, how are you going to recover when you're sort of some of those Being places? mistreated. Yeah, it's, it's just it doesn't make any sense. That's a total kind of a non sequitur. But you know, I've not about really. That. I mean, the truth is the best thing about money is you get treated better. Right. I remember seeing I would visit my great aunt when I was little and she lived here in like the nicest building. And I was like, Oh, that's why you have money. People are just they're nice happy when they greet you you know um you know if you go from business class to coach in planes like you're like you work for the same company right why are you are so nice to me when i'm three (laughs) rows ahead Well, but you know, what's interesting is, is that we both know, or we all know that, um, probably the success rate of people that come out of programs that are state funded or much lower is probably higher than some of the really, 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 really. And I know you're looking at me like, no way. You're saying higher for the less expensive or free ones than for the expensive ones? Well, meaning that not because of the quality of the treatment, of course. I mean, obviously, what you you pay for what you get, you know? But I just find, like, a lot of people want to throw money at their problems. If they have it, they throw money at their problems. Whereas somebody who is just coming out of, you know, prison or doesn't have that kind of thing, if they really want to be sober, they'll take what they can get. You know what I mean? If they're willing to do it. That's just what I I think. I mean, like all statistics like this, it would be so impossible to know. Right. I guess I'm just thinking of, you know, we have a mutual friend who was in several high-end rehabs and had nothing to do with the treatment program, but he ended up in Claire. I don't know who this friend is. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. We'll talk about it. Uh, He ended up in Claire, and uh, and that's where, you know, which was like, and he's this, like, guy who came from a wealthy background, and Claire is, like, a very, it's a state-funded, you know, program in California. But Claire is a great, amazing program. One of the very best. But you are not petting horses in that. You are not petting horses. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and, And that's where you stayed clean. And I don't know that that has anything to do with it, but it is sort of like if you've gotten to that level, yeah. it's like the last hurrah. I, I can actually say something about that, and this would be a good, an interesting story. I don't know if you guys have heard of Acton, but it was a public rehab up in the high desert. I mean, just have we written about it? No, That's... I haven't written about it. I just realized no, but I have, have a story. We reviewed it. Well, I whatever. think it's closed now, okay, okay. and for good reason. Okay. It's what, but you know, I went there and I went AWOL after two weeks. I mean, the place was. But I actually went there because I had no place to stay, and I could stay there. And this was after the, the psych unit, um, and you know, it's just. But I oddly enough, I did stay sober. You know. Mm-hmm. Because 
because because maybe the places that like you know are so cheap or state funded by that time you've run out of money you know often we don't have a place to stay <laughs> also we certainly don't want to relapse if we think we're going back to that place you know what I'm saying exactly. right I know <laughs> going to one of these like $50,000 a month ones I'm like so oh. nice if you can do it but yeah I mean look it's really all about willingness yeah. you know it's really all about willingness yeah and I think that uh, the point is, too, that a bottom is a bottom. Mm-hmm. So if somebody who has tons of money is throwing money at a problem and they don't want to live, then they will do everything they can to stay sober. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's so, true. And, and, you know, the sad fact of the matter is that, the, you know, you're going to get the very best therapists and psychiatrists and the very best treatment there. And I do believe that the quality of treatment, you know, Sure. Oh, absolutely. Has a huge impact. Absolutely. You know, um, well, are we? T- let me know when we're talking about the movie because I want to tie. Yeah, it in let's to- tie it in. So we, Anna and I saw this thir- this movie called The Thirteenth Step, which I initially thought was going to be about. I can hold this. I thought it was going to be about you know the not thirteen stepping in um, in AA, which essentially it was in yeah. some ways, but it was also um, about why AA is like you know a, a basically a um, corrupt thing and a kind of a crock of shit and then it sort of gets um melded in with this idea that aa and rehab are somehow connected mm-hmm. which is which right. is something that i think the general public probably believes but is not at all the case and 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 some of these experts were sort of criticizing rehab in, in the sense that they were also sort of criticizing aa um but most rehabs do practice 12 steps. Yeah. Absolutely. But but the effectiveness of AA inside a 12 uh, inside a rehab is different than somebody going to AA and showing up on their own volition or even if they're court ordered um you know working with the sponsor doing the steps. I mean even um treatment programs that have 12 steps not all of them do it like you have a sponsor you're working the steps a lot of it's like introduction to the first three steps right stuff like that just go like get in the druggy buggy and we're right and you. like nothing to do with it during treatment but then at night we they go to aa meetings right you know i mean i went through a i went to a friends and family program um my friend went to outpatient i went to the friends and family day and waited all day for them to talk about you know, not aftercare officially, but I mean like what to do when you got out of this outpatient program. And they didn't say one thing about 12-step or support meetings. And so I raised my hand and I was like, what What do you suggest that these people do after? And they were like, well, and I was like, do you suggest that they go to a 12-step? And they're like, well, yeah, that can be helpful. It's like, can be helpful. Like, you know, I mean, right. I guess I know it's not for everybody, but it made my head explode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I my experience was I'm a little weirded out that we're talking so much about AA, which is weird. But I will say something that no one has ever said anything to me about how can you do this, which is weird because all my writers tell me it happens to them. Mm-hmm. But I it's never happened to me either. Oh, I thought I thought no. No, that's I had self judgment, right? Which is I usually my own, which is much worse. Thing. I the only reason why I will say that it, I think it's okay that we're talking about it is because we're actually talking about the movie. Yeah, I know, which is I all know, about AA. I know. I was comparing what we're doing to the movie, and it's much more benign than that. But but just you know, if anybody out there is curious about the twelve step and how much I credit my life to it. Mm-hmm. is, you know, and I don't know how you guys feel. Oh, my but, God. But Ditto. I was like, 
I would never go to that dirty, gross program exactly. where everybody just smokes cigarettes and drinks coffee. And they, they're like, I thought, you know, fun is over. Like, and I feel like you've heard me say this, Danielle, but you know, like after two years, you're so bored. You're like, we could like go to a play. Like that was oh. going to be the most fun you ever had. And at rehab, they put us in the druggy buggy and they took us there and it seemed a lot like group. And so I was so like fuzzy that I really, I loved 12 step before I remembered that I hated it. That's so funny because yes, I, I kicked and screamed. I wanted nothing to do with AA. I pictured like a few folding chairs in a church basement with a, a flickering light and like people who couldn't even get sober. And I, it, it totally changed my life. And the thing that's, I, I'm, you know, I've been reading up a lot about the controversy with AA and also the, the policy issue with the courts and then the rehabs. And AA is, in, in my experience, extremely practical. And I'm an atheist. But the, like, the inventory is really about, you know, uh, just, just seeing, it gives you power. It's basically like, oh, oh, these are the actions that get me to the point where I want to drink, you know, a bottle of vodka and I can, I can take steps and change my behavior. I mean, that, that's how I see it mm -hmm. it's, it's been really helpful for, it's not that mystical to me but no I just get very turned off or upset when there's this attitude that AA is somehow owe people something like it's this business mm -hmm. that like somehow I guess takes money from people and is and is and is A therefore dollar. right promised like these you know it's this program that promises to cure people of alcoholism that's sort of the attitude mm -hmm. that I got from this film that these people are outraged because AA doesn't work for everyone and um if the, if they believe that that is the case that that AA owes people sobriety then they should be outraged because it doesn't work for everybody right. and and even the people you know there's people it doesn't work for who try their best and just it just doesn't work there's people who aren't willing to do the work or show up in different ways or be honest there's so many reasons why it may not work it's the same reason why you know you could go to the gym and hire a trainer and one person's going to end up looking cut and the other person is still going to have a gut it's mm -hmm. like we don't know what's really going on with each person and how right. they're working a program but it's worked for a lot of people that i know and um the idea that they're promising sobriety is just need you know that's just ridiculous but also there are plenty of people who it does not work for who find great ways to stay sober that are not, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's something that a lot of sort of 12-steppers can overlook or not know about. Yeah, I'm overlooking it because I, I just because I don't I've never met somebody who and this is just me, you know, I'm not saying either way, but it's hard for me to speak on it because I know there's all these programs and I think that's great because AA does have a stigma, especially for the religious part of it, which it's not religious at all, but but I don't know anyone who's gotten sober outside of AA. And I certainly don't know anyone who is sober um, outside of AA who isn't a miserable fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do. I do right. know Which people. is great. I also know people who had terrible seeming problems and can drink now. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that and that's the thing that also the misconception that if you're like addicted to heroin, you can never drink again. It's mm -hmm. like you may not. You may have just gotten into heroin, got addicted to it and, you know, go to rehab and then can drink again like a normal person. I know people like that. Right. You know, it's rare, but I know people like that. 
Yeah, I actually have one of my best friends who was in AA, and she, you know, she basically, I do think there's a difference between destructive drinking kind of intentionally like you know people become hard drinkers and you know they're they're not alcoholics you know but but i do know people who have gotten sober and stayed sober outside of aa i know for me it's it's it's, part of it is just it's a really good deal because i've been in cbt cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical behavioral therapy before i got to aa and didn't work you know and and because i need you know i need something that's going to be there. I mean, I can't pay a thousand dollars a week to get this therapy, you know, after I stay sober. AA is there, cost me, doesn't even cost me anything. You know, what's interesting that you bring up that point is that, and, and, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but it's, you just brought up the point of like, I did these things and they didn't work. And it's like, okay, but they didn't work alone. You know well, what I mean? Right. I think those things are very helpful. And I yeah. think AA can be the same way. It's like, I seek outside help. Yeah. I, I don't think that if I was just in AA and, and that maybe that's important to say, that I'm in various um, methods of therapy. Oh, I got a team. Yeah. Yeah. I have a fucking team. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that, that goes from like, you know, well, you're part of my team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you we know, just discussed that yeah. she doesn't call her sponsor. Right. I know. I'm like, Oh, well, I just, I just talked to Anna. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like, you know, I, I have a team of, of professionals and not professionals that hey. I go to. Well, hey. Hey. A self-diagnosed, I'm the least professional person ever yeah. inter in the mental health area. Right, 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 right. But I mean, like, you know, people that I trust who I know are similar thinking. Actually, it's probably a really bad thing. But, um, you know, but I, ha- I have, it takes a lot to run this village. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Tracy, you got a team? Uh, no, I don't have, I don't have a team. Look how well you're doing without a team. I need a team. And, and, and that's so funny that you're talking about the, how it is very helpful because one of the things I want to do is actually go and get more cognitive behavioral therapy because that, that works really well for me because of just the automatic negative thoughts and everything. Um, Wait, will you talk about it a little bit? CBT? I really, I really don't know much about it actually. Oh, it's great. It's, it's great because basically it, it will break down your belief systems, first of all, and like the words like catastrophizing, which means immediately, you know, something happened. Like you, you know, I don't know. They're they're downsizing at your work, and then it all, all of a sudden you're on you're on the street with a shopping cart. That's catastrophizing. And then mind reading or alcoholism, yeah, or alcoholism. <laughs> or Anna's brain or Anna's brain. No, and it's really great. Like one of the tools you can use is like a mood chart where you you um you you put down your mood like extremely depressed, and then it talks about and then it's like what was the trigger? Okay, this happened and then what is the thought behind the mood so it's basically like like let's say a guy didn't call you back okay i'm unlovable i'm this that he doesn't like me and then it asks you to to list the evidence for that Love it. Isn't that awesome? And there's usually no evidence. Like the guy never said he doesn't like you. The right. guy, guy never texted you. I don't want to see you again. Nobody ever told you you were unlovable. And it's like, well, and well, what about non-actions can speak louder than words? Or did I just make that up? No, this is true. Okay. In dating in LA, it's a whole nother story. You do have to, to you know, I mean, I, I get it. That does happen. They blow you off often. But it doesn't mean that you're unlovable. True. And, and I mean, I think that also, rejection has everything to do with that person. I, I, sometimes, I, yes. okay, sometimes it doesn't. But I mean, it's their issues. It's that you remind them of their mother. You know, it's a million things before it's 
it never has to do with you being inherently unlovable. Well, I really appreciate hearing that because I was dating this guy. I mean, I technically in an open relationship, but I got tangled up with this guy in AA who I was told I had totally had the hots for. And his whole thing was, well, I don't want a relationship right now. You this know, you did write about. Yes. I don't want a relationship. You know, and, and, and yeah, let me take you to the sex club. Like, let's be all fun and freaky. Fine. And then I saw my girlfriend the other day and she's like, are we dick sisters? <laughs> I guess we're dick sisters. <laughs> oh, no, no, I don't know. That just oh, sounds like know? my ex. Maybe we are. And no, I'm sure it's not that one. You, I, I, I know you're saying that because you have such a low opinion of my taste in men. That <laughs> is like, not I know true. Tracy would totally never date the scumbags you date. I hate he has to six bring years though. Up. Your guy has four, right? Yeah, no, different, no, no, there's multiple different. guys. She's, different guys. She's surveyed AA a little bit, if yeah. you know what I mean. Um, but I will go back to the point that this guy, when Danielle had me speak at her meeting and she couldn't be there, she said, "This guy who's a tall drink of water." I thought he. I is, thought. I think he's very sexy. I still think he's sexy, even though when I look at him, do you know when you look at a coyote, they, do you know when you look at a coyote, you're like, that's a dog with something crazy in it. You know what I mean? Like when I look at him. A wolf is more. Yeah. Like when I, I just, when I see a coyote, I just like, oh, that's a dog. Oh wait, it's not a dog. It looks like a dog and something wild. When I look at him. I look at a, a, a person with something evil in it. You know what I mean? With something crazy. Like he's something got crazy. crazy. Yeah, yeah, something crazy. He's got crazy mixed he's in. He's got crazy mixed in, which, it, you know. That can, can be, be very sexy. Yeah. Very, very sexy. But but my friend, not, on, not to go, but, but the interesting th- thing is I ran into my friend. Oh, yeah, he, yeah. She's dating him? No, she's not dating him. But she was like, oh, yeah, he's been dating this girl for three months and this, that, and the other. And it's like, see? And, and you're right. Instead of saying, oh, he lied to me, the, you know, he probably just, maybe he wasn't into me or whatever. But it, it, no, of course it's not a reflection on me. I mean, that's insane. You know, at least I'm mature enough to realize that. Well, yeah, because who knows about the girl he's dating and what she's willing to put up with and who knows if he's in a different, he's in a different place. But that is the worst. That is truly the worst. <laughs> I, I was I just turned, like, hearing that. Oh, yeah, okay. Then maybe I did pretty well with it because I, I pretty much just went, eh, <laughs> then moved Good. on. Yeah. yeah. I yeah, mean, that's, that's exactly healthy. Be. Yeah. That could that's be your CBT. That could be. And, you know, and that it reminds me, yes, it hurt a little. It stung. More than anything, my ego was bruised. It's like, oh, my God, who do you think you are that you would turn me down? Right. But, you know, then I figured this girl's probably 22 and an idiot and, you know. I don't know, has fried blonde hair. That's that's how I see it. Yeah. Yeah. Sure it's all true. But that's but it's great because that's evidence. Like like what that is that is actual right. tangible evidence of what is happening. Which is no reflection on you, but you can you can make judgments based on, okay, this is happening and I get to make a decision around it. Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly. And that is smart. That is smart. I wanted to say, and this sounds self-aggrandizing, I think I do CBT naturally. Oh, that's fantastic. But I mean, it doesn't, it's it's because it's so required in my brain, especially of late. I've been going through the worst, the worst, the worst mentally. Yeah, yeah weird, know, weird stuff. It's like, apparently my hormones are out of whack. Wow. Um, and so it, they're getting regulated and it's now okay, last couple days, but brutal, worst ever. Um, but... And I love the way people will go, yeah, you're just suffering from depression. And it's like, well, like that's a lighthearted thing. Or like life on life's terms. Like you were talking about the worst thing on earth. How can you be so cavalier? And also people underestimate, like, I don't know how other people get depressed. I don't know what other people's depression looks like. But I know for me, 
Um, what happens is there's my voice that I call my alcoholic voice gets really loud. And so I have somebody negatively talking to me all day long and eventually I can't overcome it because it becomes my belief system. I can't like separate my belief system from it. So this sort of like what's evident, what's real evidence and what isn't is so important. Mm -hmm. Um, but even stuff like where it's like, (sighs) I can make anything that isn't evidence into evidence. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like what do you meaning mean? that oh, like yeah, yeah. like oh well he never said he didn't like you. Yeah, but he didn't ever return my call. That's like he that's evidence. You know what I'm saying? It's just it's very strange. It's like it, it's hard. It's tricky. It's tricky navigating um you know alcoholics and people with mental illness navigate have to navigate the world with their worst enemy sitting shotgun. Yeah. That's in, really in what it ear. is. In their in their ear. You know, who's like just such a dick. But again, how do you think other people have that? I don't think that I think I think if you have it, you either struggle with some kind of mental illness like a depression mm-hmm. or or, you know, or alcoholism, which could also fall under that. I do not think that mentally Ill- healthy people have that on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Sure. We all get rejected and we'll have I think it's natural to be like have some sort of reaction like that. But you know, we're talking about something that lasts day in and day out for months. Obsession. 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 Self-obsession. Right. About hating ourselves. Right. You right. know? Self-inflicted emotional pain. But I will say, in sobriety, that will go away for years and years and years. Oh, yeah. that's not my experience. Well, I, I, I'm looking forward to that long stretch. It's, it's definitely, it, it's gotten better for me. And I have to say, and I did not mean to plug AA, but it's true that the more I do that inventory stuff and like look at my part, yeah. and as I say, I'm an atheist, you know, but I just, I don't know, turn it over to, I don't know what. Um, it does really help my my mind and getting out of myself. Um, but I hate it when people, you know, tell me that. One, one of the other things that I've observed is I really feel like I, I, I say that 80% of the people on the planet are naturally unhealthy. I mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. rarely find people who are, are well balanced. And, and I know I was talking about that guy, but I'm in, I'm in a, a casual relationship with a guy I've been in for four years and we were in an open relationship. Anyway, he meditates. He's been meditating for years for like an hour a day. And you know, he's very balanced. So it's, but it's kind of like, well, he did the work. So I, I have to wonder who's, who's I normal. I meditate 40 minutes a day. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, but you're I a woman, you have hormones. It's totally different. Well, it also depends on so many other things. Like, look, somebody who, you are a business owner. It is right. very difficult to have a serene level lifestyle when you are running a company. I mean, yeah. that's just a fact. You can have some serenity around it, but somebody who's showing up to a, a post office job every day, not, not that that's an easy job, but I mean, like, it's consistent. You know what to expect. I mean, well, except when somebody comes in with a shotgun, <laughs> and that's a little bit of a surprise. But, you know... Um, I, oh, yeah. But, you know, when you're, when you're an entrepreneur or when you have, like, a, 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 um, a you know, self... Um, Con, you know, self-contractor type career, right? Or you have like a mentally ill child, or a child at all. You know, I mean, it's very hard to serenity is a lot doesn't come as easy. Yeah, you know, that's a very good point. It's Absolutely. true. It is true. And we don't know what I would be like without it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's what we cannot. That's there's no control. Great. Um, but I will say, as a member of your team, this goes back a minute. You have been really good. I mean, I haven't heard one self-hating thing in the like last 
I mean, since I think that we became good friends. Yeah, no, I've been on a really good stretch because I'm taking my medication as prescribed. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, it's amazing how, um, uh, or maybe I should talk about this. Should we talk about the... What? My ADD medication. If you want, if you want. Okay, so, well, this is controversial. I take an ADD or an ADHD medication called Ritalin, which is, um, you know, technically speed. Um, it's a lower grade of, like, an Adderall or a um, Vivance or whatever the new thing is. Um, they typically give it to children, and I, I, I negotiated for that drug because, obviously, my shrink wanted to give me Adderall because... I'm sure you had samples, you know, like that's like, (laughs) but, um, I negotiated for that because I'm in recovery and I was scared about it. And, um, he originally told me, I don't, he's, you know, technically I should take it twice a day, but if I'm scared about it, only take it when I absolutely need it, which typically is around my period period Mm -hmm. and where I get very, or when I'm have to like read something, you know, or, or something like that. So, um, I was doing that for years, like in sobriety, I would take it just, and as soon as I started taking it as prescribed twice a day, I have been so leveled off that I realized, I mean, that was through sponsor direction. Mm -hmm. Like she was like, you, you're not taking it as prescribed, which we all think is abusing. And I thought I was some kind of freaking hero because I was taking it, you know, a month's supply would last me six months. But in reality, I think I was messing with my chemical levels. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that kind of um, medication is really controversial in AA, but the, but I, I I guess I want to talk about it because it's, it did really help me. Mm And you mentioned you mentioned Adderall, right, Tracy? Yeah, I was on Adderall before I got sober, and um, you know Adderall, and I also have bipolar. So, so putting somebody on Adderall for me, I'll say for me, it made me really. It worked. I, mean, I got a raise when I was on Adderall. I mean, I really do have an attention pr- problem, and um, especially horm- hormones like around my period. I turn into an Is there idiot. A budget for a raise because I'll get on Adderall in two seconds. <laughs> 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 Yeah, so it, it really did solve my attention problem. At the time, though, I was drinking, and the doctor specifically said, don't drink on this. I mean, like, I was yeah, going to do that. Yeah, they say that, whatever. Yeah, so I was, I was kind of a mess, but, you know, I definitely think ADD can be so crippling. I mean, I, I certainly believe that if you need whatever meds you need in recovery, you take them, you know? And, and that kind of controversy is was one of the reasons why AA is getting pissed on in the media because, you know, the meds is, is one of the things that comes up. And you just wrote a great story about that where, where she quotes the pamphlet that specifically <laughs> says, you know, please listen to your doctor about this stuff. That's correct. There's, yeah. But there's also that gray area. It's such a gray area now because we have so many quote-unquote you know, unethical doctors who are prescribing without really, you know, That's looking true. at the, I mean, I just, God love him, but I just went to see my psychiatrist within my network and my healthcare provider. And I could have asked him for any drug I wanted. I mean, he was like, you know, um, but also I said I was in recovery. So yeah, maybe he felt it's a responsibility. To I guess make that very clear mm-hmm. with. Yeah. I did say to him, cause I asked him, there's a new ADD medication on the ADHD medication, Vivance on the market and I thought maybe they had improved you know so I was like you know asked about it he's like oh no no it's like stronger Adderall and I was like okay nope (laughs) um so but but yeah I mean I think there's this idea now like doctors are very much on the hot seat when it comes to prescribing and I think they're a lot less trusted do you think yes but I think that there are you know a handful 
like probably not that many, 10% are the shady money grabbing, Mm -hmm. you know. But what about the manipulation of the clients? You know, like I don't even blame the doctors necessarily as I do. What's a doctor supposed to do? You come in, my mother put on, my mother decided, she heard that Prozac made you lose weight. So she put on an entire like show where she went in and came in with some fake problem and cried and got a prescription for Prozac and then never took it. I mean, I think honestly that Hi, mom. Um, the doctors I've experienced, hey mom, hey Mrs. Stewart, yeah. um, we hear you're a hippie, um, where they won't give me anything. You know, when I was in like, I couldn't walk pain, they wouldn't give me anything and they drug tested me. Wow. That's I'm telling you that story. It was crazy. so insane. I was curled up in a small ball. My friend had to drive me there and the, the doctor, he wasn't, oh, it's pain management clinics. Anyway, oh, they wouldn't so give. So they're used to addicts though. But my doctor think? said, I won't give you anything. So oh I had God. to go to a pain management. See, clinic. I think that's ridiculous. Oh. Yeah. And that's, that's on their side. I think it is important that, you know, whether you're in AA or not, that, you know, all of us do, we have to take personal responsibility. You know, yeah. we have to be critical and we go in our doctor and, you know, we can't just, you know, we have to have those honest conversations. Like you were saying, you know, you're like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get on that. And in terms of having the personal responsibility, if you have some crazy jerk sponsor, that's like, you know, don't take the meds. I mean, it's easy to bash AA, but I think, dude, you know, we got to be adults. We got to think for ourselves. We have to be able to distinguish what's right and what's wrong. I mean, come on. Well, and this idea that crazy people in 12-step are speak that means AA believes something. is right. absolutely insane. That That's a really good point. And that's why I wanted to write about the pamphlet. If you don't know, it's called the <laughs> AA and other medications. I mean. Well, and also it was in back to that 13th step movie. Um, one of the things that somebody like threw out there as an example of why AA is like a horrible cult is that they make people um, mow their lawns. And it's like that is a almost an urban legend it could be true but almost an urban legend in AA of like one particular guy who has a bit of a controversial subculture of AA where he puts people to work not because he wants his lawn mown necessarily mm, who well who knows but under the guise of we're giving people responsibility and and something to do something to to um to have to do esteemable acts to gain self-esteem you know, and maybe his lawn was overgrown. I don't know. But the idea that that is like somehow something we do in AA. Yeah. Right. When, when, the, when the person who made the movie knew goddamn well that it's just one person. Right. You know? Right. So and there's so many. Then like we were talking about, they're questionable doctors. They're questionable therapists. I've had psychiatric nurses say I'm going to hell because I tried to kill myself. I mean, the quacks are... The quacks are in the medical profession. The quacks are in our classrooms. They're everywhere. Yeah, you know? the quacks are you know at my home in in, in Massachusetts. I mean, yeah. I have quack parents. You know, love you, but come on. Hey, Mrs. Stewart. <laughs> um, you know, okay. So I do feel like we should wrap up okay. this great after party. What else do we have to tell people about the after party? We have new merch. We have merch, but are we selling it? We haven't decided yet. I think it's sellable. It's so cute. Definitely sellable. We're going to take a picture of all of us in it. Yeah. It's a shirt, by the way, lest you think it's It's a shirt, and it's really only for women, so... Truly. We we should make a male version of the shirt, but basically... Yeah. We we decided to... I'm a big fan of um, taking a very well-known logo and, 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 and reworking it so that it's like mine <laughs> yeah um but uh so we real we were we were brainstorming and we came up with um cover, danielle came you know, up with well, here's the thing we're, we're both 
really hot. Um, no, but I mean, a lot of the women that work for the site are very attractive. A we lot. were going to do a calendar. We were going to do a calendar. And then we were like, you know, we're kind of like cover girls. And then we're like, whoa, recover girl. Come on. So we made these these shirts that say recover girl in the in the cover girl logo. Mm-hmm. And then the website, and they're super cute, mm-hmm. and we're gonna post a picture. But like, that's exciting. Definitely. I think it is. It took us a little while to get there. Yeah, because you know, dealing with. And by the way, Danielle came up with sixteen other really good shirts. So, could be the beginning. I of am the thing. queen of not marketable skills. Like I am so good at things that would never be a reason why someone would hire me. <laughs> they're just these like I'm an accoutrement, like I'm an add-on type of employee. But you know what I'm thinking? I was just thinking this the other day when you look at any ad language that. Every writer who does good headlines here comes up with more clever things every day. They're more clever than ads I see. Uh huh. That somebody is getting paid a fortune to sit in focus groups and, you know, try out. Well, I do want to say that uh, coming from the background of comedy, um, people do not like really funny things. You do. But mostly we're trying... the advertising agencies are trying to appeal to the masses of a very, that's a very bland palette. So the more, the less clever and more, you know, palatable the, 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 the concept is the better. Yeah. I see it with, with comedy. You know what I mean? They don't want funny people. They just want people that, you know, are okay. Right. It's very interesting. Well, that's what I'd like to think. Cause I'd like to think I'm funny and I wasn't wanted. <laughs> see Danielle hosting the, uh, 2015 AVN Awards on Showtime, May 22nd. I don't so know the time. possibly some alcoholism talking to her and telling mm-hmm. her she was not wanted. I know that's a huge event, huge gig, I know. huge. I know, and and in my mind, I've completely whittled it down to like a fluke and or like she hosted this podcast in this office, it's right? Like how right, it, and right. there were two thousand people there. Uh, five thousand, five thousand, mm-hmm. right? And you yeah, did it sober. Really that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It was fun. It was great. It was great. So. If you like porn awards and who doesn't, <laughs> um, you should watch that. What do the awards look like? Are they like little statues in the shape Still of cocks? They look like Oscars, except they're two people like having sex. Oh, you know, that's like, pretty hot. Embracing, embracing mm-hmm. in a very sexual way. Mm-hmm. Huh. No, they're great. They're great. It's the real deal. I mean, people make fun of it, but it is a real award show and they take it really seriously and everybody, it's real. And, and it was really fun. Wow. I'll have yeah. to check that out. Yeah. Showtime, which I don't have. But <laughs> no we'll, one has. We'll work it no out. No one has. Again, little alcoholism. Oh, God. oh, right, right, right. No, totally. I'm sure you can get it on Netflix, right? You can download. So. You can get everything oh. there. So, okay. So, final parting words to the listeners. Oh, I had questions that actually came in that I thought we could answer, but next time. Next time. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I just think the only parting words is these are the, everything that we express today is opinions of yes. us as individuals. They do not represent twelve-step um, programs or Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, they do sort of represent what happens at After Party Magazine, they, but <laughs> but they do not represent uh, anything like that. So please know that. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, did you feel like you were listening in on a conversation with three gal pals? Because Kind of were. Uh, yeah, so let me know what you think of this format. Continue to listen, please. Download, love it. Give us a review. Uh, we, as discussed in this episode, we now have t-shirts that are potentially about to be given away to you guys. Got to figure out the details there. But anyway, uh, thank you for listening. Check out the site and I'll see you next time. <laughs>